0: Welcome to the People of Bloomsbury podcast, the first book in the Curled Up and Cozy Collection, narrated from the desk of the author, DJ Swales. Part One A New Day, Episode Six Sheila's Stew. It was in the city of Belfast, in the shadow of the Black Mountain's leprechaun forts and cave entrances to the fairy world that Lorna's Aunt Sheila had first gained local fame as a culinary pioneer, while still managing to care for the sick friend that had forced her return from London. On some afternoons, Sheila would stroll around the derelict docks where Houdini, the American escapologist, had almost drowned in the dark water. She also liked to stand where the doomed ocean liner Titanic was constructed, allowing her mind to wander back to her former London life. (music) Sheila missed adventures with her raucous Southwark flatmates from every corner of Ireland. Where the Titanic once displaced immeasurable volumes of that dark water in the Belfast Dock, she laughed at her shimmering, oily reflection Recalling how she and the girls would rate the financial districts strapping stockbrokers in their pinstripe suits while hurrying to their waitress jobs at the Bank of England. During Sheila's short time working in the food hamper department of Fortman Mason, provenders to the royal family and their endless hangers-on, she had been obsessed with all the wonderfully exotic produce from around the world. She missed Fortman Mason tea too, sold in ornate tins among wooden dollhouses, but was happy to be back where people had a sense of humour and freely said hello to strangers. Besides, the customers of Fortnum & Mason could be frightfully stuck up. One young man, apparently an up-and-coming mover and shaker in the theatre critic world, would arrive in a wide-brimmed hat and chide Sheila for her impenetrable Belfast accent, threatening to set his leashed ferret upon her. On her last day of work, Sheila had told him to stuff it, then strolled next door to Hatchard's, London's oldest bookshop. After scouring the bookshelves, she used her final paycheck to purchase every book on travel by Hot Air Balloon. During Sheila's years in London, many people had grown used to her absence along the city's sectarian Falls Road with its many colorful political murals. It was only after her return, inspired by her time at Fortnum & Mason, that Sheila had dared add newfangled green peppers to her Irish stew, tempting cultural outrage in a place that for many years had maintained open hostility to imported fruit and vegetables. (laughs) Green Peppers were first known to those few Belfast residents who had relatives in Mexico, where the Irish community now includes an ex-president, or had enjoyed sizzling fajitas in dreadfully inauthentic Mexican restaurants in Dublin and London. Why on earth would you mess with a stew? Some asked saying it had always been perfectly adequate the way it was. "'This tastes different,' people said suspiciously, barely able to define the unexpected change. Hundreds of feet below the Napoleon's Nose rocky outcrop on Belfast Black Mountain, Irish stew purists denounced Sheila in the street. "'You're mad,' they said. "'Get a life!' said miserable Maureen at the fish-and-chip shop, who refused to sprinkle salt and vinegar on Sheila's carry-out, as they oddly called takeaways in Belfast. Even when thugs threatened Sheila with being tarred and feathered, she stuck to her guns, tramping from shop to shop to barter for her ingredients. Priests, nuns, and even a bishop condemned her, saying, "'You'll bring ruin upon us, good Catholics!' Skeptics that tried Sheila's stew in secret became her most ardent converts. They started to crowd after her down the Falls Road, begging for autographs like she was Lulu or Scylla Black. They came to be recognizable by the gravy dried in the corners of their mouths or on their chins. In spite of being Catholic, Sheila saw herself welcomed among the Shankill Road's Protestants with open arms. A few offered to convert her if she shared her stew recipe. She laughed and gave them the basics, but kept the exact ratio of ingredients to herself. After this huge culinary culture shift was digested, quite literally, Sheila was often seen walking, head held high, along the Falls Road openly flaunting bags that bulged with green peppers. People tried to gauge from her bags what the exact ingredient mix might be. The same individuals tore out their hair when she said she altered it according to whether the stew was lamb or beef. They gnashed and splintered their teeth when she added a chicken option. "'They've gone haywire,' Sheila said, laughing cautiously.' as demand saw her upscale her cooking pots to the large cauldrons that Lorna would come to inherit in Bloomsbury. Local papers ran features about her success, along with photographs of David McGranaghan, the Donegal blacksmith who had forged the cauldrons during a full moon, swearing that the ancient custom turbocharged the flavour of anything cooked in them. Even boiled water will taste like Guinness, he said, so her stew will become better than ever. No wonder her kitchen looks like a witch's bacchanalia, said one letter to the Belfast bugle, disapproving of the superstitious blacksmith. How many spells has she cast to bewitch innocent diners? asked another letter in seeming solidarity. What nonsense came a riposte from a Mrs. Duffy who had tried Sheila's stew in a restaurant called Delaney's. There is a dearth of decent restaurants in the city it's about time someone had a salivating vegetarians hardly existed in northern ireland but some locals who were soon dubbed soap dodgers had recently returned from the hippie trail across the indian subcontinent and southeast asia how about a lentil version asked marilyn from Mourn, who was often spotted in patchwork dungarees talking about how the world had entered the enlightened age of aquarius she signed off her letter with a lecture reminding readers that lentils were full of fiber so they would be kept very regular marilyn also sought financial backers for a residential ashram on the merlot shore Several letters from Belfast readers begged for a battered fish stew option, but Sheila refused. Have you seen Strangford Lock, where all the fish come from? It's full of sewage. Years later her prescience was proven correct as the ripple of her words saw rallies for an overdue environmental clean-up. A massive increase in the lock's salmon population resulted, though they weren't long for this world seals and several dolphin pods thronged to the feast, polishing most of them off. (laughs) Sheila's Stews remained an absolute sensation in Belfast city centre restaurants. Imitators came and went. Diplomatically, she called it Ulster stew in places where all sides of the troubles, as the civil conflict was known, circulated, eyeing each other suspiciously while avoiding any orange or green clothing that might reveal their allegiance. When the band Banana Rama were at the height of their fame, Sheila returned to London after her old school friend healed well enough to start stealing her sweetmeats again, mainly iced buns. Wrapped in a shawl and headscarf, like an Irish émigré of old, she wandered between Green Park Station and Clerkenwell with an old tea samovar on her back. "'Stew, get your stew!' she would yodel, serving each bowl with a boulder of fresh bap pulled from somewhere beneath her shawl. She looks like a cross between a Dickensian flower seller and a Soviet babushka, one customer told another. When generous chunks of beef clogged up the samovar, Sheila would shake and judder to dislodge them without having to remove the contraption from her back. The effort would sometimes cause her eyes to roll back into their sockets. Some onlookers begged for an exorcist, while others mulled on the possibility that she was suffering some kind of seizure. Being central London, no one offered to help. Josie, Bloomsbury's one true seer, then still an astonishingly graceful ballet dancer, had been among the first to hear Sheila's dew cries. She was deep in Green Park, practising the Nutcracker's sweet among knee-high spring daffodils, taking care not to squash more than a few. <music> Josie followed the animal-like cry and delicious aroma, joining the line of rumbling bellies that had formed before the mysterious woman with her gleaming samovar. "'What beautiful poise you have!' Sheila said to Josie. The dancer had remained on the very tip of her toes during their entire first meeting. I really shouldn't be eating this, replied Josie, looking at the heavenly gloop. I'm supposed to stick to salads. I'm going to feel like a lump of bricks. It will sit in your stomach, that's for sure, replied Sheila, as honest as a Nubian monk. That day outside Green Park Station, a fast friendship was formed, without any hint that Josie would ever retreat into the night to become a full recluse. When those days dawned, the two women would come to correspond only by letter. In her flowing cursive, Josie would still beg endlessly for the recipe, even promising Sheila several foretelling flips of her guinea coin. Don't you want to know if you have any surprise balloon trips coming up? Josie would ask, knowing that travels on hot air balloons were the source of all Sheila's dearest dreams. I just can't. "'My entire reputation rests on my recipe,' Sheila replied unconvincingly. "'It was the most tempted she had ever been. "'A naughty little voice in her head, one that she called the Devil of Tralee, "'urged her to give up her secrets. "'Go on, you know how much you love hot air balloons. "'You could be the next Phileas Fogg.' "'Sheila opened her mouth, kissing the air like a goldfish.' But disregarded the devil of Tralee. I'm sorry, she said, but I'd never recover if you messed it up. After Josie began to paste up ingredients lists around Bloomsbury in the heart of the night, prospecting for her next dinner, Sheila knew that she'd made the right decision. Don't worry, I will over exaggerate some of the items, Josie later wrote to Sheila asking her once more about balloons and assuring her that the true ratio of ingredients would not be shared. I will save five pounds of potatoes instead of three, so then I will have enough for hash browns too. Hash browns or not, I can't reveal it, Josie, Sheila replied. But as long as I'm alive, I promise you'll have fresh steaming stew on your doorstep whenever you wish. I know I can trust you on that, Josie wrote back. Before Sheila handed the reins to Lorna, Josie had become quite concerned about the survival of the business. In gratitude for the promise, Josie had also enclosed a shockingly naive hand-drawn sketch of a fox and two cubs inside the letter. Sheila had to squint to discern the subject matter, which looked like a dissected mother wolf with two stick figures of Romulus and Remus suckling from a floating teat. Sheila did not waste a moment. She sharpened a pencil and completed the sketch, adding the sun in the sky and a couple of hot air balloons sailing past some marshmallow clouds. Thank you for joining me, DJ Swales, on my podcast and today's reading from my upcoming book, People of Bloomsbury. Uh, I really appreciate all of the support my listeners give me on Patreon and buying my books. And uh, I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Thank you so much.